From the team at Waterstones, welcome to What Is, a podcast where we discuss interest in tech. I'm Paul, and today I'm joined by Rob, who's going to be helping me answer the question as to what is the future of space travel. So Rob, tell me why you're excited about the future of space travel. I think we're very lucky to be at kind of a junction point in kind of the whole industry of space travel. So obviously about 50 years ago, we did have people traveling into space to place like the moon and this. And it was amazing technology they're using. Rockets that we still haven't reproduced to, to this day to get people hundreds of thousands of miles across space to the moon and back again safely. But since that point, it stagnated. It was very much driven by governments wanting to compete each other, uh, compete with each other to be the best and show how they were better than any other country in the world. And once the moon had been reached, that target had been hit and there was no real incentive for the governments to continue pushing further forwards with this. Now, in recent years, it has very much shifted. So the kind of the area of space travel was a government-led thing for many, many years. But for the past kind of five to ten years, it's shifting towards being a commercial. And that has caused a huge shift in the way in which um, some of the processes are being carried out. One of which is efficiency of these launches of um, payloads in space. That's something which SpaceX led by Elon Musk, who you might know from PayPal or Tesla. He created and has led that um, company with the goal of getting humankind to settle on Mars. And one of the key things for that is making space travel a lot, lot cheaper. When it was a government-led thing, it was all about showing you're the best and trying to beat other countries. So money wasn't really a thing they cared about. They just spent the money required to do it. Now that it's becoming commercialized with these sorts of companies, money is a big thing and they have to compete with other commercial entities to make it cheapest. And a company like SpaceX, the way they're doing that is through something which even 10 years ago, people were saying was impossible, which is landing a rocket and then using it again. It's when the idea was put out there by Elon Musk as to this is what we want to do. People were literally laughing at him, saying, you're not going to be able to do this. And they've managed to get it from that to the last two years or so, where it's no longer an event when they manage this. It's the norm for their launches is they launch a rocket, send something into space, and then land that rocket again and can use it for a second or a third flight and it's it's incredible how quickly we've gone from what was not that much different from the rockets used in the 60s to something like this, which is just leaps and bounds ahead of that old technology. So I think it's safe to say for 
almost 50 years. I think the last time we reached the moon was early 70s. Yeah, it was sometime in the 70s. Um, so almost 50 years, we haven't sent humans beyond the International Space Station. No, so since we went on to, did the last moon landing, which in the 70s, what is really not very far at all, the International Space Station in Earth orbit is the furthest we've been because that's all that's been required for what the governments have seen as necessary, which is essentially some quite interesting um, science experiments that are being carried out in the um, microgravity situation of the space station. But even the space station is nothing close to the moon, and we've not achieved that again for a good 40 or so years. Yeah, so what Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX, sorry, not Tesla, have done so far is not really focused on delivering people up to this point, is it? Because they're building the company. Yes, and because they were doing this thing which is seen as a huge technological advancement, the landing of a rocket and the reuse of a rocket, which has never been done previously, they wanted to focus on that. So their first few years of this has been um commercial payloads that could be sending satellites up or government contracts that they're now getting to send resupply missions to the space station but later this year it's planned for their first um manned launch so they are doing now something called the dragon capsule which is going to be sat on the top of one of these reusable rockets And that is planned for sending humans to the space station so that um, there's kind of an alternative to the one um, source of launches of humans to the space station right now, which is the Soyuz um, capsules from Russia. So it's starting to spread that out, and it's both SpaceX and ULA, who are the United Launch Alliance, I believe that stands for which is people like Boeing and Lockheed Martin collaborating in order to come up with an alternative to the SpaceX option. And Jeff Bezos of Amazon as well was looking into this as well, wasn't he? Yeah, so he's also trying to um, produce these reusable rockets um, boosters, but they are currently probably a few years behind the point SpaceX of that, so they're still doing some kind of smaller demonstration rockets but they're also going about it in a slightly different way to spacex and the way in which they're doing it um blue origin they their method for landing a rocket is a much higher fuel consumption method so it's a lot less efficient and this is something which i believe spacex were considering in the early days but decided two factors meant they didn't want to do that. One is it requires a lot more fuel, which means you're limited in terms of for launches from Earth landing back on Earth, you're limited in terms of the payload that you can send up or how high you can send a payload because you need more fuel left to land. You're also then limited in terms of stuff like traveling to another planet 
you need a lot more fuel left to do the landing on that planet. And it also needs more complex engines to make it work because the difference between the SpaceX rockets and the Blue Origin rockets is the Blue Origin, when they come to land, actually come to a hover above the ground. So they essentially stop themselves a distance above the ground, hover for a short period whilst maneuvering themselves into the right place and then gently lower themselves onto the ground. That requires a huge amount of fuel to actually come to a stop, hover a rocket and move it about. And needs your engine to be able to throttle down to a point where the thrust from your engine exactly matches the weight of the spacecraft. The way SpaceX are doing it is what's referred to as a suicide burn, which is rather than coming to a hover, they aim to reach exactly zero velocity at the same moment that they would hit the ground. That is a lot harder to do from a physics and kind of software calculation perspective than the hover, maneuver and land. But it is a huge amount more efficient on fuel. And they don't have to throttle down the engines to this, to be a low enough thrust to allow them to hover. So that means they can have a, an engine which is designed much better for maximum thrust and doesn't have to have the complex um, engineering to allow it to throttle to quite such a low um, thrust level. It It is crazy to me, the science of that. Um, I kind of in my head have it as a controlled crash where yeah. you are just going to hit the ground and what you're trying to do is you're just trying to stop at the point that you hit the ground. Um, and to think that te- uh, Tesla, I keep saying Tesla, SpaceX, have been so successful at mm. this is is remarkable. Um, as you said earlier, it's almost a non-event now. I see um, on YouTube they always... Um, broadcaster launches and at one period they did two in a week i think they did where Mm. they launched landed and then launched again later in the same week yeah and the plan i believe it's meant to be by the end of this year 2019 they are aiming to have the same rocket launched landed refurbished launch again in a 24-hour window which shows just how far they're coming along. So they're on their, I believe it's the stage nine, they call it. Is it? can't remember exactly which it is, but basically their latest, um, latest iteration of the Falcon 9 rocket has quite a lot of upgrades to it, which means they think the number of times they can launch it is kind of in the tens of times they can launch the same rocket. And the amount they need to service it is much less. So things like they have these metal fins, kind of a grid of metal on a fin that sticks out from the side of the spacecraft, which is used to control the angle of it as it um, descends back to Earth. The ones in the previous version of the Falcon 9 would burn up in re-entry, so the amount of heat that was being generated in re-entry would be enough to actually burn parts of the metal off these fins. 
that is one of the big upgrades they've made in the latest version is those are now a new titanium version i believe it is which can withstand those temperatures and the difference between one from the previous version and the current version you look at pictures of one post landing the previous version the fins have massive holes in them and the metal barely there anymore the new one looks like it's not actually been through anything so it's basically to a point where they just have to give it a quick once over essentially as if you're taking your car in for an MOT, make sure nothing's broken, fill it back up with fuel and send it up again. Well, I was, again, liking it in my head. Like It's logistics taken to the extreme, really, isn't it? Where um, if you've got your business delivering goods, you obviously have to serve those um, service those lorries every X amount of days to make sure they're always ready and uh, suitable for actually delivering and, and traveling on the road because of the heavy use well the rockets are going through a lot a lot more than that um but really the price is the same they're just servicing it servicing it every time aren't they and the, mm. the more efficiencies they can do there the cheaper it becomes time and time again um so i mean the one thing that always amazes me about space travel is the time like in my head having not been alive when we last went to the moon um it was very like i didn't really have an idea as to how long it took us um in terms of the actual journey time and it was only recently that i, I discovered it's it's about a week there and back isn't it i think um i think it was the best part of a week to get there then right. they spent a couple of days on the moon and then sort of another four or days or so to get back to Earth again. Which puts into perspective the the challenge that Elon Musk has made no... Um, he's not hiding the challenge that he's mm. going, which is to get to Mars, of course. Um, and NASA have recently also stated that that's their objective is to get to mars and um we can get on to a second some of the things that they've been talking about what they want to do um but some of the challenges so if you think i'm looking at the moment at a lego model of the <laughs> rocket that got us to the moon which uh is in in rob's room that rob's built here um but the quarters that the af uh the astronauts were in to get to the moon for that length of time was really tiny mm. um and i think just forgetting the technical challenge of getting to the moon and beyond um one thing we're also looking into is what that's going to do to the passengers of said vehicle and and how we can make that suitable yeah i think there's a lot of unknowns at the moment in terms of how space travel actually impacts both the human body and also psychologically for some of these. I mean, people hate sort of economy air travel. That is nothing compared to what you might get if it, if you are tightly packed onto a vehicle for three months traveling from Earth to Mars you're going to go crazy on that thing if you don't have enough space. But then the flip side of that is 
it's currently super expensive to launch any payload into space. So the smaller, more lightweight, and more compact you can make that, the cheaper it's going to be. And there's a bit of a kind of balancing act there of just how much space do you need to give people as a minimum versus how many people do you want to send on a single payload with your max fuel um, consumption you can get from that rocket. There's a, there is a bit of a challenge there in terms of how do you balance that. And in the past, a lot of that has been overcome by the fact that there's such, such strict selection processes on the people who go on these missions. So the Apollo missions, that was the best of the best of the um, test pilots for the military. These people are just a class above. They, they're not afraid of the challenge. They, they're in that to further the progress of science and technology. They're not there for, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could be one of the people in this first colony on Mars? They are military trained and tested to make sure they are right for this role going to mars we can't just send five people because they're not going to be there for sort of like a week or two and then come back it's going to be something which it's a long period of time they're there for we need to send a significant number of people to have it safe because you need people who are trained in different areas like how to come up with a sustainable food source, making sure people are medically safe, stuff like this, where you need a range of people in there. But then you also need those people to be able to cope with the space travel and the isolation and the in close quarters with other people and getting on with them and not having a fallout where you then can't escape from them for another two months because you're stuck on a space ship on the way to Mars. Even just that human psychology is going to be a huge challenge to ha- tackle in that sort of a journey. So I think I think it's NASA, but it's someone like that is running trials at the moment or looking to run trials, I believe, for just isolating humans in a similar situation for the duration it would take, um, which is an interesting, as you say, psychological um, challenge as well. And as you point out, we can't come back straight away from Mars mm. like we can from the moon. And it may take a, a little bit to get your head around it. And we don't really have long enough to go into the, the full detail, but essentially the Mars, uh, Mars and earth are not always perfectly aligned. So sometimes we're much closer and sometimes we're much, much, much further away. And we want to time that journey. So it's the shortest journey it can be. Um, which means I think it comes around like every two years is when the ideal periods are. So if we mess up the first, like if we mess it up, we have to wait two years. Um, So that's one of the challenges as well. So, I mean, finally, the last thing I wanted to get onto is the the challenge of the future and what NASA are also looking at. Because we've been discussing this a while, actually, um, about, about space, but it was fairly recently, only in the past, month or so i think it was um that 
NASA announced their plans for getting to Mars, and it was this really exciting video on YouTube that sort of they, they put out to say sort of what their dreams are and what the goals are. Um, but do you just want to talk through a bit more about that and, and your thoughts? Yeah, so one of the things that has happened through the these more commercial entities coming in to kind of commoditize the space launch process, it's freed up NASA to not have to worry about that side of things so much. So when NASA wants to get a payload into space, they can now just put out a contract and say we need to send a satellite of this weight up to this orbit what's your your quote and then they just go with whoever gives the best quote and service basically because they'll see you don't want to go with the guy who claims he can do it for 50 quid and then ruins your two million pound satellite um but yeah that means they don't have to worry so much about producing these rockets for earth orbit launches instead they can look at more into the future and there is the i think they've called it sls is it which is their future launch system which is getting onto the scale of the saturn V rocket of the past it's an absolutely huge rocket designed for sending future payloads to mars and that is kind of one of their big targets now is how do we get that because it's it's not for sending anything beyond sort of a simple payload, which could be a Mars rover or Elon Musk's Tesla, um, the current rockets we've got do not cut it. You need something much, much more powerful in order to send a large enough payload for a realistic human mission to Mars. That's both the equipment you need ahead of the time because you obviously need something there for people to survive in. You're not going to want to launch a spacecraft that just barely fits the people who are being sent to the planet. And then that's the only place they can live when they're there. You're going to want something sent up ahead of the time. And you obviously need to launch the people which are going to be bigger, heavier life support, all of this sort of stuff in there compared to, a rover that we sent in the past so there were huge huge technological and um, engineering challenges that they're they're facing with this and there's a few different um, people trying to tackle that challenge both SpaceX and now NASA as well going at it in kind of different angles in terms of how they're going to do this and how they're going to land as well which is another huge challenge for Mars because one of the nice things about Earth we have a big, thick atmosphere. We can just deploy parachutes and all sorts of stuff like that to slow down and safely land a capsule with humans in it. For Mars, in the past, we've only landed capsules with robots in it, essentially. They are quite a bit more rugged to G-forces than humans. You can probably crash land one of those, essentially, and it would be relatively okay you're not going to want to put a human who then is away from high quality medical care for a year through some sort of heavy crash landing. You need it to be a soft, soft landing, but on a planet with little to no atmosphere. It's quite a challenge to 
um, tackle that one and not something you want to get a failed attempt of. You obviously want it to be right first time because of the sort of um, situation it is. And that's something that there are multiple kind of ideas thrown around for how to do it. There's obviously the SpaceX uh, looking at doing it through similar thing to landing the rockets on Earth with rocket boosters to slow it down. But there's also other ideas like what's been used for Mars rovers in the past, which is space cranes, where essentially you slow your vehicle down above the ground and then lower some lower a payload down on a, a rope sort of thing. Then there's other things of um, just using much, much, much bigger parachutes and seeing can you slow stuff down sufficiently on that. So there's a lot of challenges there for how do you even land something on Mars safely. Yeah, and the the crazy idea which I saw um, was we're going to build a refueling base on the moon to help us get to Mars. Yeah. Um which in itself seems a crazy idea. Um, and they didn't go into too much detail, of course, and I don't think I'd necessarily understand it if they did. Um, but why Why is that even a good idea? Yeah, so that's something which I think it's been suggested in the past and people have laughed about it because it's been kind of compared to, I want to get from London to Sydney, so I'll stop off in Kent for a refueling. That is the sort of distances we're talking about, but it's not the sort of challenges we're talking about. With space travel, a huge, huge part of the fuel consumption comes from getting off Earth. We are the big ball of gravity that we need to escape. Once you've escaped that gravity, a tiny little force can be used to get you huge, huge distances. We've got stuff like the um, satellites that have gone beyond the solar system those have the smallest engine you could imagine on it just throwing little tiny ions out the back to throw uh, to push them along and yet they are the fastest traveling human made items ever so the challenge is getting out of earth if we put a fueling station on mars that has sorry on the moon next step mars yeah that barely has any gravity at all on it so we can use all the fuel we like to get from Earth to the moon, refuel there, barely need anything for the liftoff, and then we've got a huge amount of fuel left for the trip to Mars, the landing, and then potentially the trip back. So the plan is essentially ship stuff up to the moon, keep it there, and then your next trip picks it up again and continues on. So when are we looking at doing this? When are we likely to reach <laughs> Mars? Not anytime soon. I think even the most optimistic, which from past experience is probably Elon Musk, who tends to say something's going to happen next year and then it happens five years' time. You're looking at kind of the 2030s as a realistic goal for when we might be able to get humans onto mars it's a, a long journey and there's a lot of steps along the way and i i think it's definitely going to happen it's something which i think i'm going to see in my lifetime but it is something that we need to have patience for it's not something that should be rushed 
the back in the 60s the moon landings we, we were kind of lucky there it was rushed <laughs> if you look back at what happened it's a lot of stuff happened there in order to make sure the moon landings happened within the schedule that the president of America had said it would happen with in order to kind of gain political victories over other com- countries. A lot of that stuff would not happen nowadays. It was a crazy, crazy time. And I'm amazed it kind of, it had as few casualties as it did. Even the successful moon landing, it was literally seconds away from running out of fuel on the lunar lander. And yet they went with it because that's what they were kind of trained to do. Nowadays, I don't think they would go ahead with something with that finer tolerance. If it was getting to that point, it would have been called a bot way before that point. So it is a different age and it is a different challenge, but I think if we look 20 years in the future, it's definitely possible that it can happen. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to see what happens in this space. Um, sorry for the You were looking pun. forward to doing I was looking forward to that pun. <laughs> um, and I definitely think things will move forward quickly. And I think we could have this conversation again in, in two, three years time and talk about all the uh, amazing developments we've made mm. over the, over that time period um but yes i'm definitely very excited to see what what's happened what what will happen and i would love to see us reach mars and and make that leap as a as a civilization um so yeah that's all we've got time for today um it's been really fascinating so thanks very much rob for your insight into that no problem um Yes, and you can follow us on Twitter. Um, we've got a uh, Twitter account at what is underscore podcast, and you can follow Waterstones as well on Twitter, which is at Waterstones LTD. Um, and I will be back um, in the next couple of weeks uh, bringing you another episode. Thanks very much. <laughs>